0: It's only us. Um, So over the weekend, I was surprised to see a number 10 source and a Labour source both use the word Romaniac as an insult, like it was 2016 or something. We all know it's a compliment. Uh, So good evening, and welcome, fellow Romaniacs, to the Leicester Square Theatre for part one of Romaniacs Live, Democalypse 2019, the sneak preview of life in a future subterranean Britain. We're getting ready for Brexit in our own special way by trying to stop Brexit. Uh, I'm Dorian Linsky. Let's meet our panel. Um, She's an actor, director and comedian. She's on Defending the Guilty on BBC Two. Yes,
1: thank you. And you can see her soon in Everton's (laughs) Christmas. Tomorrow night. No, I'm just doing my first episode
2: tomorrow night. It's on at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, BBC Two. Thank you.
0: (laughs) But most importantly, uh, she's a functioning Brexitholic and BBC Parliament addict. Earlier this year, she joined the mass exodus of Conservative Party members. (laughs) Cutting up her membership card in protest at Boris Johnson becoming leader. Bringing to an end a whirlwind few weeks (laughs) of trying to make things awkward for Boris Johnson. It's Ingrid Oliver. Hey, hey. Uh, Ingrid, was it it a wrench or a liberation to leave the party of Disraeli, Thatcher and Francois? (laughs)
2: I feel, I feel like I've lost my tribe. I feel very <laughs> sad about it. Um, I uh, I genuinely do. Some, I, I was I used to get emails from the Lewisham Conservatives uh, about the pub quiz in Penge, and I genuinely am slightly sad that I don't get those anymore. Um, but it's a small price to pay to be able to to sleep at night. So yeah, no, it's fine. So are you going to do the in thing and join the Lib Dems now? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, in all seriousness, no, because before 2016, I wasn't a... a wow. Or, we're, we're three minutes in, guys. Come on. Um, we're, we're a broad church. Come on. Um, I, I No, because before 2016, I wasn't a member of, a, of, a, of a, a political party. What, before 2019, about four months ago, I wasn't a member of a political party, so... I, 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 I'm not a tribe person. I don't, I don't like that. So I won't join the Lib Dems. Um, I'm politically fluid. <laughs>
1: That's good.
2: Stay like that. Also here tonight, he's the editor of politics.co.uk,
0: the author of Brexit, What the Hell Happens Now? And he's never off your telly box. One adoring Twitter follower called him a jumped-up baldy. <laughs> which, as, as a fellow jumped-up baldy, I was like, me too. Um, it's uh, Ian Dunt. And you published Brexit, What the Hell Happens Now, in November 2016. Obviously, it's all sorted out now, but do do any of your predictions stand out as sort of too optimistic? No. You were suitably gloomy. Yeah,
3: I was, I was. Well, because it was mostly, because they weren't really my predictions, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, they're mostly just from experts, you know, that incredibly controversial view that you should go talk to people and know what the fuck they're doing. And um, so it's sort of trade experts, trade negotiators, you know, diplomats, international lawyers. So it's not really predictions. It's just guys going, well, I mean, if you want to, you know, have nothing on a border, you need to have the same regulations and the same customs system. So it's just basically understanding the system. So on that basis, you no, know, it worked out pretty well. I've tried to say this without sounding like an arrogant twat. I don't know if that worked. Uh, what you're saying is people should buy the
0: book because it was as fresh as the day it came out.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Um... Naomi Smith uh, can't be with us. She's down at Labour conference. Good times. Um, but she will be. Um, she will be uh, at the supreme outside the Supreme Court tomorrow at 8am. Um, up with the lark for a for a silent vigil for democracy. So um, if anybody fancies getting up early and joining her, please do. But we do have a special guest, a warrior for common sense and pro European values throughout this mess. His LBC phone in show is a model of uh, patience and good humour, some, sometimes impatience and, and ill humour, uh, while, while dealing with some lively callers. Um, he's also the author of the Soar Away bestseller, How to Be Right in a World Gone Wrong. Please give it up for James O'Brien.
4: I'm uh, I'm just here to make sure that Ian's only the second most arrogant slap on the stage.
0: James, you've had quite a good Brexit in as much as anyone's had a good Brexit. Um, Do you, you, and your show has become quite central to the debate, do you see a side of Britain, because people are calling into you, choosing to call into you, that maybe TV and radio reporters standing in a small town market square on a Wednesday morning don't see?
4: Yes. Like, and it's really simple. The, the vox pop is, is the scourge of, of modern political coverage because they never have to explain anything. So you get a microphone. Start. First of all, you're wandering through town on a, on a Saturday morning and the last thing you want to do is go and share your political views with some Herbert from the BBC who's, who's standing there in a raincoat with a microphone. So automatically the sample is self-selecting. It's it, it basically just sort of Quite self-important, ignorant people who are drawn like flies to a turd to the vox pop <laughs> o- Obviously, the radio phone-in format is susceptible to some of that criticism. In, in the ninety-nine, no...
1: <laughs> Just
4: trying to work out what the turd is in this analogy. <laughs> the ninety-nine um, percent of people listening will never call in, but but what I have been. I mean sort of a curious mixture of blessed and, and profoundly dismayed to discover is that when you say why after they've stopped telling you what they think it all falls apart and, and Ian's book provides an early indication of why and how but still, three and a bit years later they're allowed to spout their I had a caller today, I kid you not Abu Hamza that's why he voted out the European Union. I think when he called
1: in. Long first time caller.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Abu Hamza's a remainer all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and there was something else as well. We can't control our laws, and they can't name one. I mean, it's 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 not boring would be the wrong word to use. But yeah, I have had a side, and it's not a. a, a is it a privileged position? What's insane is that it doesn't matter whether you're talking to Jacob Rees-Mogg or Gary in Shepherds Bush. They come out with the soundbite. We can't control our money, our borders or our laws. Oh, our judges get overruled by... They all come out with this. Oh, Ireland is a red herring. We'll have that sorted in a jiffy. And it, it, it all falls apart. Whether you're, whether you're the Eton-educated son of a Times editor or whether you're a, a, a taxi driver tooling around West London. I don't get it after all this time. I've been doing it for three and a half years. I, I don't want to give away the secret. I, my kids need shoes. But,
1: <laughs>
4: but I ask the same questions. And, and I even now apologise in advance. I say, you know what I have to do now.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> is, is there an element of those callers that do you think wants to be saved because otherwise why are they calling you or punished and not some of the other court and also other um, people uh, presenters on your channel which they, well, that they could do, do
4: you see they do and, oh, and put me in quite a difficult position now it and it's the same with the Vox pops. they're not used to being asked to it. so they think oh well, I'll, I'll show this fellow a thing or two, it's all about the laws. can't control our laws. Does he really not understand that? I'll ring up the way I'll tell him we can't control our laws. Oh, shit, he's asked me which laws. <laughs> and and it, is, it is that simple. So, obviously, yeah, I get a little bit of father-confessor-type type territory now from people who have repented. But there's plenty of people who haven't. And, and even today, it was the you know confusing European Parliament with the European Court of Human Rights and, and, and getting everything else backwards. And still, I mean, what it ended with today, because it's all about Boris Johnson's latest enormous scandal that has been criminally underreported at the moment. And, and the question was, what, why are you letting him get away with this? What have you got left now, apart from your support for Brexit? I took a call a few months ago from a fellow that's really stayed with me. I said, Donald Trump lies to you, and yet you like it. Give me a ring and tell me why. I didn't think anyone would, because it's, you know, quite a high bar. The bloke <laughs> rings in. It was when Trump was delivering a speech in a room, and outside the room there was a protest, and he said in the room that there wasn't any protest. Remember that? I said, why, why do you put up with this? He goes, because oh, it really winds up people like you and Sadiq Khan. <laughs> and I, I, it's funny, but it's also heartbreaking, because I thought about that a lot in the intervening months, and today's call was exactly the same. I don't care if Boris Johnson has got questions to answer about the inappropriate allocation of public money to a former model whose flat he used to visit reportedly on a regular basis for quiet afternoon. <laughs> why, why don't you mind? And the answer is because he's, he's Brexit. So I ended a call today, I kid you not, with the words. So what you're saying is that you'll support Boris Johnson, whatever he does, because he's promised to deliver the Brexit that you can't explain why you want. And he went, exactly, James. <laughs> well, we're supposedly only a
0: matter of weeks away from leaving the EU, do or die. As our uh, Prime Minister put it. Tonight on the show we're going to look at how we deal with living in a divided nation. Whether we leave or not, there's a schism in the country, I think. Uh, can we mend it or do we just have to live with it? Lump it. Um, we'll be considering the rise of the chaos voter. Members of the public who just want to burn it all down. Uh, you've probably encountered some of them. Um, but don't worry, uh, we're keeping it light too. <laughs> Chin up. Uh, we'll be playing a game, that game where the panellists get a famous lineup of names and have to be say, say who'd be Leave and who'd be Remain. And that will take your, your brain to a happy place. Um, but first, we'll have the traditional round-up of the latest Brexit news. Uh, let's start with the Supreme Court and prorogation. We're hanging by a thread waiting for the decision tomorrow morning. Uh, Ian, whichever way it goes, what will it do to our constitution that a government felt that it could sideline Parliament? Can that, can that be... I mean, presumably, if it goes in the government's favour, whenever they're in a pro-Rogan mood, they can get pro-Rogan. Um, but even if
3: it goes against them, Amazing. will it... Yeah.
0: Will it has, has this had lasting consequences?
3: No, we don't really know what it means until, until tomorrow. Because, you know, the British Constitution is, is very, very sort of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. And there's no real concrete sort of information about how it would work at any given moment. You've got the, the pillars that are currently in flux are, you know, obviously the government, parliament, the media, which you know, we've talked about an awful lot of you know, in what way does it and how should it do its job in this kind of time, and the judiciary. Now, Parliament has stood up. I mean, what you've had is an overmighty executive that's basically been able to tap a completely new source of legitimate political power through the popular vote, through a referendum vote, Can say, Well, look, that means that we just get to do whatever the fuck we want, so we're just gonna go ahead and do it. Parliament, and it was a long, slow process, but eventually Parliament started standing up for itself. And I don't think you can hold too much against Parliament right now. I mean, they have really done the job. The kind of things that we have seen them do over the last couple of months have been way beyond the scale of radicalism that anyone would have considered possible at this time last year. So now it's up to the judiciary to see whether they're going to do it too. And tomorrow is when we find out whether they take an instinctively conservative position and don't do the kind of things that they would be unprecedented for them to do, or for them to recognise that the government is behaving in an unprecedented and very dangerous way. And that, in your wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey British constitution, means the judiciary needs to stand firm to make sure that that kind of behaviour doesn't continue.
0: James, are we seeing a kind of change, a sort of general change in people's idea of what democracy is, that it's sort of... The the idea of representative democracy seems very offensive to a lot of people now, that it should be
4: direct and majoritarian. Will other people get on with it? You'd hope it was was a sort of aberration in the the bigger picture. It's not... It's it's more the question of an informed democracy for me, and this is where you veer immediately into, into condescending... Uh, Ramoning because it, it, I mean it, that's, that's it, why we're here. Right? No. <laughs> it, it, it's a living. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> because that that's the problem. I mean, you know, if 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 I mean, how many people are in this room tonight? Five hundred? Is it? Give or take. Four hundred. I think. Four hundred. Yeah. So let's pretend. Stop they're, talking they're,
0: Romaniacs now <laughs> Choose uh, uh, matters. Truth uh, matters. Uh, pretend
4: there was 100, just because my maths isn't good enough to times everything by four. And if, if someone appeared in that doorway at the back of the room there and shouted fire, and 52% of the people in this room ran at breakneck speed for the fire escape and trampled over each other, and, and indeed the people who weren't in the process, that, that's, that's democracy. That's a majority of people in the room that are running for the fire escape. 48% of the room will go, Where? Where's the fire? So, who, who should prevail if there is no fire? The 52% who are behaving according to the belief that there is, or the losing side, who have now proved that there is no fire. That's the problem. And, and until all of the people that are still running, still, I'm sure I can feel some heat on my back, because there's three and a half years running, and, and there's still no heat on their back. They're, they're, until they admit that there's no fire, I don't know what happens. But that's what I mean by it being a, a unique moment, rather than a an illustration of a deeper, broader malaise in the, in the democratic process, because, because then you're reduced, you're reduced to this appalling circle of, why do we have to leave? Because we voted for it. Why did we vote for it? Because we want to leave. Why do you want to leave? Because we voted for it. And there's nothing left. We're just in a Doctor Who loop forevermore. We're going off into new solar systems with every we have to leave because we voted for it. We voted for it because we want to leave. We want to leave because we, there's nothing left. There's no other reason to give. You know, Parliament had too much power, so we've had to shut it down to deliver... Parliament didn't have enough power, so we've had to shut it down. We can't control our borders, but we don't want one on our only land demarcation with the European Union. I mean, it can't get any more surreal. And and yet, I suppose the one thing you can't take away from them is their ability to count, and 52 is more than 48.
1: (laughs)
0: Meanwhile, by the seaside, it's uh, Labour Conference Week, and um, after mema- momentum, uh, attempt to boot out Tom Watson. Unlike Bob Marley, they couldn't shoot the deputy. Um, <laughs> they've uh, just passed. Conference has just passed the NEC uh, motion deciding to go into uh, a referendum in the event of a Labour government. Seems less likely uh, than it did before they passed this motion. Um, that they will be neutral. Um, Ingrid, what words
2: are left
0: <laughs> for Labour's Brexit position?
2: Now, listen. Uh, no, again, I'm going to do something... Well, I know I sh- what I should do is, is say something like, I think it's shit and, and they're terrible and all that stuff, but I'm going to be boring, I'm afraid. Here I go. <laughs> Um, I, do you know what, having spent on this podcast in fact for, for the last year just getting angry, mainly with you, about the Labour position um, and saying when will they come out, when will, when will they just get off the fence the longer it's gone on, the more I've sort of, I have less of an issue with it, hear me out
1: um,
2: <laughs> because the thing is, as long as there are people within the Labour Party that are allowed to vocally say this is what we think we should do going into, if, if Labour were to win the next election or form a government with the Lib Dems, whatever, they would have to he would have to go and negotiate with the EU and I don't see how you can do that if you have come out specifically for Remain. I don't, I don't think neutrality is a crazy thing actually, on behalf of Jeremy Corbyn, I don't, I don't. Um, in fact I think absolutism is what gets us into these messes and actually that sort of ambiguity of we do believe that he's very anti-no deal, we know that um, he was pro the second referendum and would hopefully campaign for Remain. And, but there are enough people within the Labour front benches and back benches that are vocally pro-Remain that I think I'm okay with it. Oh. Oh. Yikes. I, I, I agree entirely, by the way. I, really, oh, I just don't
3: think that there's... I just don't think it's it's much of a big deal, really, whether Labour happens to go passionately pro- I mean, we've seen what he's like you know, fighting for Remain before when he doesn't believe in it and he's not very fucking convincing. We've got from him what we need, which is the offer of the referendum. So in terms of, you know, where that's, that's locked in, that seems right. But do you but think it will... It just seems electorally... Like
0: a very bad idea that with the Lib Dems coming out for revoke, and obviously that's, you know, that's controversial with some people as well, and that's seen as, as we going too far. But it just seems like the last thing that Labour should do if he wants to hold on so if to some I of those was, people is... Yeah to just say we're going to be neutral. I have no, idea, no desire to see Jeremy Corbyn on the campaign trail with his kind of like 7 out of 10, you know,
1: <laughs> kind of
0: <laughs> performance. He's not a good salesman for, for, for Remain, but, um, but I just don't know how you can, over, by, by sort of overriding what the members want as well, basically allowing a kind of leadership union stitch up, it just surely, surely, these people they're losing to the Lib Dems are not going to come running back?
3: Well, I, I, I think that a lot of us will have to run back to a certain extent during a general election. So if you imagine that the, the, the Romaniac shows that we had before the European elections, and it was a different electoral system, and our main thing was like we've got to show Labour what the consequences are of ignoring Remain. Um, and, mo- you know, many Remainers felt the same way, did very well, and it ended up with the position that they're in right now. Now, in a general election, that is not going to be the case, because their position has changed. They've got an offer. And I imagine they suspect that offer will be enough for a lot of Remainers. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And and to be honest, I mean, sensibly, there is now a pathway to remaining in the European Union, which was, frankly, very hard for us to see before. We were talking about, you know what, Lib Dems had to get a majority, which, you know, in Parliament, which did not seem like a very likely thing to happen. Now that pathway is there. I think when it comes down to that election the you know, Remain Alliance can have a conversation that says, well, frankly, look, if it looks like there's a, you, know, you can get a Labour guy there, then you're going to go for him. You're going to go for a Lib Dem over here and on and on. And I imagine there are calculations that that will happen and, frankly, I hope it does because that is the only way to get another referendum. As much as it sucks, and I don't take that away, I mean, watching it today was a fucking horror show. <laughs> but the truth is, on the core proposals, that's the
0: reality of it. James, what do you think of the, the Lib Dem sort of hard revoke position?
4: It changes to be honest. I I was drawn to the logic of the Labour position that that Ingrid and Ian have just explained until it actually happened oddly. (laughs) Seriously, in in, in the sort of crucible of of theory, I liked it because it seemed to be a way of saying, okay, you voted for it, we'll we'll do the best that we can and then we'll ask you if you still want it. And there's a sort of logic to that which I quite like whereas the Liberal Democrats are are saying um, no. Look, you've had your fun. (laughs) And, and I, I worry that the, vote, the, vote, the votes Ian's talking about were taken for granted at the last general election, the, the European election notwithstanding, and I feel like they're taking those votes for granted again. And the other thing that really hacked me off today was that vote on the conference floor was not a vote for a policy. They turned it into a popularity contest. They turned it into a vote of confidence for the leader. And the people that were trying to chuck the deputy leader out 48 hours ago have, have essentially turned a vote on the most important policy pronouncement that the Labour is going to make in our lifetimes... Into a vote on whether or not they still like Jeremy Corbyn. And, and that. I, 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 I'll say this, because it's only happened today. I, 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 I vote in Brentford and Isleworth in West London, where we have a very good constituency MP who is a Labour MP. Um, and I've just read that they're, they're looking to do the trigger selection on her. They need two out of four of the wards to, to, to see if they can chuck her out what, weeks before a general election. There's a tiny little bit of me that hopes, because I, I, I vote on a personal constituency level, and I'm lucky enough to know and respect my MP, my life would be a lot easier come election day if they did chuck her out, because then I could vote for the Liberal Democrats with a completely clean conscience.
0: Um, So the the Tory uh, civil war seems to have receded into the background, so that's good work, conference. Um, (laughs) But... One beloved character from a previous season of The Tories uh, has returned with a, a new book. Um, <laughs> um, hands up who intends to read it, or is in fact already raced through it. I can't see, it's dark. Um, I'm going to assume none. Um, but Briefly, we'll, a lot of revelations of, have been um, reported in the press. Are we surprised... Buy any of the things that have come out from Cameron, or does it make us hate him less? I say us, like, I don't know, <laughs> me. Like, does it make him look somehow, sort of, in any way, sort of more reasonable or more self
3: aware yeah. than <laughs> the current one? No, no, it doesn't. Good. Um,
1: <laughs>
3: no, he's just this sort of human absence. So there's no. <laughs> And when you look at the records, you know it's astonishing, right? Because I was thinking, I was remembering, when Labour were in charge, who kept on promising he would match Labour spending. He wasn't a fiscal hawk back then. Then there was an opportunity, so suddenly he's a fucking he's a fiscal hawk. He's a fiscal hawk that he drives austerity into the country, not on the basis of an emergency that existed in the actual objective world, but on the threat of a future emergency in the bond markets for which there was no evidence whatsoever was incoming. Now that, right there, like to cause that much human suffering for something that is basically entirely fictitious is an astonishing breach of trust with the British electorate. And then to do that, one form of, of, of sort of right-wing lunacy, and then to inflict the referendum on the back of that social suffering, which almost guaranteed the result that you got, another form of right-wing lunacy, and then to fuck off and go, oh, but I'm much more sensible than these guys over here. It's like, no, mate, you, you are a vortex. <laughs>
0: Do you, know, do you know what the only version of that book that would have been good enough
3: was? Like Written in blood and like saying, in, I'm sorry, no, over no, and over. Like in The, shi- like in the
0: Shining. <laughs> when Shelley Duvall goes in to see what Nicholson has been working on and there's just sheets of paper and it all says the same thing. <laughs> just that, but I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then you go, all right, fair dues. That's a lot of I'm so sorries. Well, uh, let's move on with the first round of Leave or Remain. Ian, we're starting with you. Uh, Your category is Game of Thrones characters. (laughs) Who believe who? They're all leave, dude. Every single (laughs) one. They're all the all the left the left behind. Um,
3: (laughs) Okay, we start uh, Lord Varys. Um, Yeah, I think he'd. I think he'd go for May's deal, to be honest. Quite civil servant to <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to get quite deep on I this think quite, like, <laughs> I think he's quite like... It's <laughs> not just fucking leave, remain on this one. It reminds me of Peter Mandelson, who's very Remain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, well, that's true, that's true, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, 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 I'm sticking with it. Yeah, he's May deal, yeah. Okay, Sansa Stark.
2: Um,
3: yeah, no, probably quite Leavey actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that's how it ended. I don't want to spoil anything. But... <laughs> she literally says, yeah, in the end, she just goes, I just want to leave the Seven Kingdoms and they're just like alright
3: nice leave liberal leave um Littlefinger he's he's um he's Stephen Kinnock <laughs> <laughs> I say some fucking weird shit on these shows <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they like I don't even know what the fuck that means it's, anyway yeah he yeah, is a sneaky bastard uh, <laughs>
0: Theon Greyjoy.
3: Theon Greyjoy is leave. Yeah.
0: Woman uh, outraged on the front row there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he yeah,
3: never is. Saying, I mean, he butchered children. Yeah. Uh, Cal Drogo. Cal uh, Drogo, global Britain leave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's quite buccaneering, isn't he? Yeah, bu- that guy <laughs> is buccaneering. 14 trade deals at the end of a sword. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brienne of Tarth.
3: Uh, after, yeah, EFTA-E-A. <laughs> you know, she, she, she'd, accept, she'd accept, you know, the, the overall vote, but she'd need to, you know, soften the reality of it. Uh,
0: Melisandre, the magic lady.
3: Oh, yeah, see, I mean, she, she encourages people to sacrifice their children for an imaginary goal. I mean, she's, <laughs> she's extremely neat. Like.
0: Uh, and finally, Joffrey.
3: Joffrey, oh yeah, no, that's no deal, man. He's He's no deal Brexit. There we go,
0: it works. Um, As Littlefinger in Game of Thrones said, chaos is a ladder. Uh, So he'd be right at home with this new breed who have been described as the chaos voters. Earlier this week, the winner of American Political Science Association's Best Paper in Political Psychology, the Emmys of Political Psychology, (laughs) I guess... Um, was a need for chaos and the sharing of hostile political rumours in advanced democracies. The Danish and American researchers found a sizable chunk of American voters are drawn to chaos incitement and that social media accelerates the spread of information that portrays political candidates or groups negatively. I could have told them that. (laughs) And has a low evidential basis. Uh, Basically, a lot of American voters love chaos. They don't care what's true as long as it infuriates the right people, as as James was saying. And their politics has devolved into nihilism. Uh, Relatedly, Simon Cooper at the FT argued that British complacency about institutions uh, had led to a sort of different form of nihilism, which he summed up in the phrases, why not? And it can't get any worse. Um, Of course, on the continent, they'll tell you from experience it actually can get quite a lot worse. Um, So they're kind of less inclined to rip it up and see what happens. Um, James, what do you, what can you, is there anything
4: to say to the chaos voter? Well, I mean, apart from admonishments, I don't think so. Because it, it, it's, it, it's probably best understood as having slightly less than either you expected to have or you used to have, and therefore thinking that you've got nothing to lose. Um, I think what's becoming increasingly clear is, is, is there's only one way to demonstrate to people that they did have something to lose, and that's for them to, to lose it, um, which, is, which is probably on the horizon. But also, there's, there's a question of agency. I, I mean, you know, we, we feel most people in this room feel very passionately about this very live political issue of our time and everything that that follows from it. But, you know, you you could be forgiven if you grew up in the sort of... uh, even in the era of conviction politics, but certainly if you grew up post-97, if you only voted since 97, you could probably feel that none of it really mattered that much and that everything just tootled along unfairly or fairly, regardless of what you did. And here was an opportunity to actually make a visible thumbprint on, on, on the country. So is that a desire chaos is preferable to impotence? I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it baffles me because I don't understand how you can look at something like the NHS and think, oh, yeah, go on, we'll risk that, you know? You've got nothing to lose. We've got free schools, we've got free healthcare. we've got a decent infrastructure. The trains need a bit of work. But generally speaking, the country isn't the fifth largest economy on the planet by accident. So the idea that there's nothing to put into jeopardy by completely tearing everything up. But you can call it chaos. I just call it stupid.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: stupid voters. That was the runner-up. No.
4: You, you, you wouldn't win an award, I don't think, no. from a psychological uh, panel. Stupid voters. Bloody <laughs> stupid, honestly. Or, um, or, you know what we're flirting with here, or possibly, possibly we're not, but it, it occurred to me while you were describing that research, flirting with that slightly Colonel Blimpish idea that what, what, what this lot need is a good war.
1: You know, they really need... And and I don't
4: mean that in a careless or a stupid way. I mean that in the sense of, yeah, of course we've got things worth protecting, all right? I appreciate that there's work that needs to be done in lots and lots of areas, but European bloody unity is something that even a cursory understanding of the last 100 years of history should teach you is, I was going to say, worth dying for. But, of course, hundreds of thousands of people did, so that would be a slightly glib, throwaway line. That's what annoys me most about the chaos argument, is that it it makes a mockery of... Peace. And there's a mockery of peace. Peace. I'm feeling all profound now. That's what applause does to me. That's why they don't allow any on the radio show. I'd never, I'd never take a call. Peace. Peace, brothers um, and sisters, is the opposite of chaos.
0: I'm Ingrid the Resurgent. <laughs> it's that a fortune, um, Ingrid, the research included asking people if they agreed with such fun, specific phrases as, I fantasize about a natural disaster of wiping out most of humanity such that a small group of people can start over, or I think society should be burned to the ground, or sometimes I just feel like destroying beautiful things. All dialogue from the new Joker movie, I think, <laughs> but also things that, that, that sort of people agreed with. Um, how much do you think, how much is that kind of? of that nihilism sort of at work in Britain at, at the moment. Do you know
2: what What I would find interesting to know is what gender the majority of the people <laughs> that answered that question were <laughs> genuinely, because exactly what James was just saying, that, that chaos theory where you've had peace for a relatively long period of time and you just want to fuck shit up mm. because you have heard stories of heroes in battles and, you don't have that, you have quite a nice life. Uh, so you're f- this is a generalization. This is the person in my head sitting in his pants, the keyboard warriors. So, this is you know, again, it's it's a totem, but in my head, it's that thing of I've got a quite a nice life, so anything that's gone wrong is, is my fault, and I don't like I don't want that to be the case, so it's got to be something else. So, rather than introspection, we Fuck shit. We 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 sort of externalise it and break everything around us. So so that impulse to me feels quite a a masculine impulse. I have to mm. say, um, you know, wars in in history tend to be because men are in power. They t- tend to be. I mean, let's give or women a go. Let's give women men. a go. Yeah, no. I mean, by all means, let's give women a go and then see what they do. Like, we might be just as bad. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I do feel, reading that, it immediately struck me that that's not something I know that many women have felt or have vocalised.
4: And, and it, it, it's not just... I mean, you think of Mark Francois and his Second World War revivalism. Oh, my God. Um, but also, the, the amount of the particular flotsam and jetsam on Twitter who've got flags of St George and references to Richard the Lionheart, who I don't think could speak English, could he? So he'd be first on the fucking boat if this lot uh, got <laughs> not that, that, that kind of idea... I'll tell you when I knew we were doomed, actually, talking of trolls on Twitter on Tesco laptops in the dirty old dressing house sitting in their mum's back bedroom. When, when they started saying Godspeed to each other on Twitter, that's when I thought, oh, we're finished. Godspeed. Yeah, and I appreciate a little bit of pageantry and, and sub-Robin Hood-type linguistic acrobatics, but Godspeed. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, you're a bus driver. It's just... <laughs> That's when it was all over. When they started going, hey, old fellow, well met. And, and, and you know, ride part... at dawn. Yeah, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> and you know what's part of that? The stupidest word that has ever been coined in the history of Brexiteer. Do me a flight. It makes him sound like D'Artagnan. You know, or, or Pothos or Aramis. Or the other fellow, Athos. <laughs> that, that, should, that should never have been allowed because that adds to this sense that, that Ingrid describes, this idea that they're doughty warriors. But as soon as you ask them what the enemy is, they can't really tell you something about the Fourth Reich and the EUSSR and, and f- fish quotas. Yeah.
0: Well, that, our muted protest is Brexiter, which is knock off an E. and go. You're not, we're not letting you be Brexiteers. I do, I do, I do,
4: yeah, I mean, I do, can't the believe the BBC, I'd still, I've got to get over it, really, but i still <laughs> hear the BBC newsreaders, not just the presenters, but the newsreaders. It happens on LBC as well, not on my watch. The, um... They say Brexiteer, leading Brexiteer, John Redwood. So, what?
1: What?
3: A,
4: you're still quoting John Redwood as a trusted source. <laughs> and B, Brexiteer, you're making them sound like something out of Game of Thrones. You just, I, I'd have gone for Brexit, I think, or Brex... <laughs> <laughs> but it's as valid it's as valid and it contains a value judgment albeit a pejorative or brextremist it's just as valid as brexiteer they're made up words and and somehow well somehow they they just entered into the into the vocabulary of the nation so that even people who are on the other side of the argument are compelled to describe them as if they were you know sort of knights in shining armor oh bring me a brexiteer
2: did I ever tell you my Marc Francois story there we go (laughs) Just while we're on this subject, a sort of paper thin ego and and sort of that just examining that psychology. I I, I walked into a pub a few months ago and uh, and and there and and there he was. Um, and I I'd had a glass of wine. Um, and I said to my friends, I was like, I'm going over. They were like, please don't. I was like, no, I am going over. So I went over and I was quite, I was very polite because I'm, I'm very. I believe in hearing people out and trying to change their minds so I, I said hello uh... <laughs> roll your eyes at me Dorian <laughs> um, just imagine the, the,
0: the work it would take to change Mark Franks well I uh, know I. like I, pushing I... a shit covered boulder up ahead. here <laughs>
2: Also, by the way, it's like I, when I sat next to Daniel Hanan on a plane, I always sit next to Brexite- Brexiteers, not Brexiteers. I always find them, or they find me. And I always think, God, if I could just think of the perfect thing to say at this perfect moment in time, maybe they would change their mind and I would save the UK. <laughs> but anyway, in this particular instance, I went over to the bar and I... And I, I just thought went, it was uh,
4: only men that had these delusions. No, no.
2: Right <laughs> no but mine are more peaceful. Mine are like Joan of Arc. Oh, Joan of Arc? I don't feel like she was that <laughs> peaceful. <laughs> famously chilled
1: out. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I think I myself more like Mother Teresa, that kind <laughs> of thing. But I so I went over to so the bar and I said, look, uh, I um you know, hi, you don't know me um, but I'd love to talk to you about Brexit um, and so we had a chat and he, he, he rolled out some pattern which he clearly always has which is, you know, my grandmother was Italian and blah, 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 so therefore I'm not racist um, and uh, we, we were having a fairly I mean, he wasn't listening to a word I was saying actually but then eventually I went, you know, you have to understand from my point of view, Your the no-deal stance is quite extreme and he went, you're calling me an extremist I said, no, 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 I'm no. I'm just saying you're slightly went, no, 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 no no! And he took his pint and I'm not joking he walked off and stood with his face to the wall and his back to the pub just, and he turned puce and he was like, no, no and he, started, and he wouldn't and he left the group and even the people he was with, his friends were like, what is what's just happening? And in that moment I saw how pathetic a genuine genuinely in the genuine sense of the word, just pathetic this man was the ego, the la- the sort of ego the fra- the fragility of the ego and the fact that this man was part of a group that was sort of leading us over a cliff edge and I just I was so angry it, it, do you
0: think that Boris Johnson is exploiting this energy because he's not he's not quite a sort of Trump or bolsonaro figure who obviously sort of generates chaos and then exploits it and would He's really into military parades, like he's a different kind of. He's more of a kind of, um, more of a kind of an opportunist and a bullshitter. But do you think that part of his part of his strategy is to is to is to appeal to that, or to sort of like hold out the possibility, but but
3: but then sort of you know the no deal boom, but then pull back? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't think he is particularly different, um, because look. The, there isn't much to him at all. All that really matters is what is Dominic Cummings doing in Downing Street. In the same way that Donald Trump, the only thing Donald Trump's actually been consistent about is really his, his trade policy. He's actually even, you know, decades ago, he was banging on about, you know, the Japanese and the Chinese are ruining us on tariffs and fucking whatever. The immigration stuff is new. That really came when he started running for president. It's actually quite new, and he just saw that it worked and, and gunned for it. So he, in the same way, I mean, they basically just go with what works. And what works is pretty clear to us now. Because we're seeing the strategy happen again and again and again. You create the crisis, and then you promise people that you will solve the crisis. And they will mostly go, oh, this is a very convincing argument. Maybe he'll fix the crisis. Of course he'll fix the crisis, because he made it up. (laughs) And that is the tactic again and again. So you look at immigration. There was never an immigration problem in the US. It just didn't exist. Donald Trump comes out quite the opposite. They, like us, frankly, need immigration quite urgently. And um, Donald Trump comes out and goes, well, look, there are these Mexicans on the border, they're rapists, they're thugs. They're coming here and they're going to attack your family. By the way, that is the story of totalitarianism from the dawn of time. They're going to come here and they're going to attack your family. Usually it's, they'll attack the women. That's the classic sort of thing that's always said. Um, he says that and then he goes, so I'm going to build a wall. So the solution fixes the problem that never existed until they started talking about it. You do that again and again and again. It's exactly what they're doing right now in Downing Street. The approach is exactly the same. And always the solution is about division. It's always about us versus them. Them is usually the other. And it's almost always one of two types. It's either immigrants, which includes refugees and things like that, or it's the corrupt metropolitan elite. It's those two groups each time. And it's the same process over and over again. Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings, they are exactly the same as all those other motherfuckers. Uh, Before we break for
0: uh, interval 10-15 minutes, uh, let's have another bout of leave or remain. Ingrid, it's your turn. Oh shit indeed. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I took this really
2: seriously. I I made notes. (laughs) Did you email the writers? <laughs> did I what? Did you email the writers? What, just what would they, they have check done? check that I'd got there.
0: That I no got no. Right? Just what
2: would, do? What, would, what would they do? What would they do? What would they do? Your
0: category is sitcom characters.
2: Uh,
0: yeah. Who's leave and who's remain? Okay. Um, we'll start with Rodney
2: from Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> so Rodney, not Del Boy. Rodney yeah. uh, went to he went to grammar school. Apparently, he went to he, did, he studied art. He married Cassandra, who was, you know... Very very remain, m- Very Remain. So, in order to... Also, Peck, he lived in Peckham, so that was a very Remain, that was a Remain area. But, but um, yeah, in order to keep up with Cassandra and her metropolitan liberal elite friends, he would have voted Remain. Remain. Remain okay. is the answer. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, Ed, Eddie and Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous.
2: <laughs> a hundred percent leave both of them really? hundred percent they would have they would have a hundred percent voted leave but pretended that they voted remain
0: would they be like Vivian Westwood leave?
2: What, you, old, there's old money there and, and those those quite wealthy fashion people that just I know they're creative in the creative industries and normally we're all quite remainy but at that level when they're quite rich no, leave all the way but when she's at the right party with Kate Moss and that, she'd have said she was Remain, both of them. Uh, Jim Royal. Oh, you don't the, agree? James, the, James doesn't I agree. I believe I'm getting so
4: involved in this. <laughs> it's really...
2: It's... Yeah. I do want A to about that to
4: Adina's heart. rescue on their Patsy all day long, but Adina, no way. She'd <laughs> lie to Patsy, but she'd be Remain all day long.
2: Interesting.
4: Well, <laughs> maybe. maybe. Uh,
2: Jim Royal from the Royal Family. Jim Royal from the Royal Family. Uh, Norway Plus Plus. No, not really. Uh, uh, he would be a, he'd be a Labour leaver. No. What do you mean no? Hold on a minute. This isn't your list. Don't you James O'Brien me, James O'Brien. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have completely come round to your way and thinking by the end of this, why are you not Labour leaver? Just don't... He's just shaking his head.
4: I, I hate this. It's possibly a bit of a leap from your... <laughs> pontifications <laughs> of the voting intentions of Jim Royal but I, what's emerged this week and what you've known what we've all known all along is this conflation of the northern working class voter with the, with the racist lever is profoundly unfair I'm not I think... suggesting you've just done it but I, all right, I'll just say Jim Royal, leave my ass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I was I'm... not passing judgement on him by the way that wasn't. Okay. I love Jim Royal I mean, he's... he made me cry in the bathroom scene yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's rubbing yeah. her back when
0: she was giving birth. Yeah, it was beautiful. So it yeah, was, yeah. Uh, Father Ted, who is obviously technically from Ireland. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. That did throw me a little bit. Yeah, I'm not going to
1: lie.
2: Um, I said reluctant Remainer. Hmm. James.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> In,
4: very briefly, because I think I might be. <laughs> I might be mansplaining here. I've just, <laughs> I just—I don't know anything about Game of Thrones, so I felt really left out when Dunk was doing it. That's all. That's all. It's nothing personal. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
0: Finally, come. This is also not not British. Um, but didn't she marry? Wasn't she going to marry a Brit? Uh, Rachel from Friends.
2: If Rachel had Friends had married a British man and had UK citizenship. Okay. Um, I'm taking this possibly slightly too seriously. Um, uh, she would have... See, she would, I think, have... Uh, he, she would have married quite a wealthy, I, in my head, man. And he would have been one of those posh um,
0: people. Joe or Boris? Who, Which well, he, Johnson? No,
2: he'd have been like... You know, I see both sides of the argument. But, um, you know, and I, I, I'm very pro-European. But for me, uh, Maastricht just went a little bit too far. Um, LAUGHTER and so he'd have been, he, she'd have voted with like him and it would have been leave. It would have been a soft leave. Yeah. Suck it up.
0: Breaking, breaking a lot of hearts tonight. Um, so, yes, we're going to have our interval. We'll be back in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, you'll, we'll, we'll let you know. And uh, for another round of Leave or Remain.
1: I'll see you later.
0: You got booze, we got booze. Um, Welcome back. We're going to start with another round of Leave or Remain. Uh, This time is our special guest, James O'Brien. Uh, who's going to it from the following... Can I apologise for interrupting you or No, no. Image, Why? No. Imogen Again? will be chipping in with her suggestions. Uh, change your category is famous Jameses. Uh, we'll start with James Bond, specifically as played by Roger Moore.
4: Remain and reform.
2: Wrong. I wish- <laughs>
4: You should, you should have just raised an eyebrow.
0: Uh, James Brown, the godfather of soul. Remain?
4: What, you want what? me to explain? He's the godfather of soul! Is it
0: because Remain is, is more funky? Yeah. Or... Hot damn. Okay. James Dewan, a.k.a. Scotty from Star Trek.
4: I... I... I think he might be leave. I, know, I, know. I, think, I think he's got quite a Presbyterian streak. And that he would value the privations of leave because of the moral fibre that it would provide. For. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Sid James. <laughs>
4: Beloved rubber face carry on star. In, in in character or the Sid James that none of us really knew. You could the Sid James none of us knew. <laughs>
0: um, what about any character? You can pick a.
4: Oh, well, in his in, in his carry on mode, he'd be a lever, wouldn't he? He'd, 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 but well, Nigel Farage models his kind of laughing with a beer face on Sid James, doesn't he? I, I think um, so. Yes. No. I, I, God Lord, he does. You're right. Um, <laughs> I think off-screen, Sid was a much more nuanced character than many of us appreciate. <laughs> I, he, was
1: also,
4: he was also quite a thwarted romantic in, in many areas. I mean, he, he was something of a swordsman, but he, but he also had a poet's heart, and therefore... I'm trying to work out if you're just making this shit up on the spot. Right? I
0: tell you... A lot
4: of people Um, don't know about Sidney.
0: You know, he was really a a lovely
4: man. Let me tell you something that not a lot of people know about Sid James. He he is the uh, beneficiary of my favourite blue plaque. If if you head out of London through Ealing, there's a a little riding school, and then there is a succession of very, very ordinary-looking detached houses, on one of which there is a, a blue plaque for Sid James which i am 95% certain is homemade. Now he definitely <laughs> he definitely lived there. because I've checked. And <laughs> and the, the blue plaque doesn't appear to have and it's 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 quite a, it's got a drive. It's a deta- so you can't actually go up and but I might have parked and got out and walked <laughs> walked past slowly and i don't think it's got any english heritage or or gc uh you know gcl Insignia on it. I think the people that live there have put up their own Sid James Blue Plaque, and I love them for it. I can see why you want him to be remain. It's okay. so a Tommy Cooper Blue Plaque near me as well.
0: Not called James doesn't count.
4: Um, e. L. James, author of Fifty Shades of Grey. Ah. Now, old, like she's remain old, or because she she tweets me a lot, so she must be. <laughs> More inside knowledge.
3: What is she it's slightly about unnerving
4: the first time it happened. <laughs> you, think, you think, sort of, the country's most famous pornographer. What exactly is it about my Brexit analysis that? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you know, you
0: take it where you can find it at my age. And finally, James Bond as
4: played by Sean Thank Connery. Same as Rog? No, oh, he, d- he d- as played by Sean Connery. Can you separate the actor from the character, though? With- like Connery would be leave all day long, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? Bond. And Bond, yeah, leave him and Michael Caine being leavey on a oh, course yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want really, to alienate every septuagenarian actor <laughs> fan in the room. But my God, what? How the mighty four, eh? Michael Caine. Christ, after Jaws five D, I thought he could do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> What's it all about? I don't, don't know. know. Elfie. Um, Finally, for the
0: second half of the show, we'll raise our eyes from the nightmare present and try to look to the nightmare future. Um, everyone talks about bringing the country together, but what if we can't? Um, how do we cope if Britain is irrevocably sundered into two groups? Uh, broadly speaking, younger, outward looking, more urban, pro EU half, older, more suburban, more xenophobic, anti EU half. Is there uh, a one Britain, and was there ever a one Britain? Um, Ian, we'll start with you. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, t- <laughs> Is this... Ch- <laughs> yeah, it's very sad. I'm sorry. Sorry <laughs> to calling down. It's a very sad topic. Um, do you think... Because I do think it exposes a lot that was already there. But once you label something, that's sort of where the the sort of culture war sort of comes from. Um, What prospect is there of somebody like Corbyn, who talks about speaking to both Leavers and Remainers, and those with no opinion? Um,
3: (laughs) What sort of hope is there of that in in the near future? Well, I mean, at the moment, the the problem is there's a core... System change that needs to take place, which is leave or remain, and whatever. And so the new status quo needs to take hold. And that's a precondition. Nothing can be fixed until that is fixed and whatever thing. And and then we're in a new status quo and we go on. The extent to which the changes have always been there, which basically informs how quickly we can fix this stuff, is kind of the subject of quite a lot of academic work at the moment. And the academic work is, is pretty interesting. So the thing that they find again and again in a variety of countries, I mean, you get it in the US, you get it all over Europe, is that there is a class of people, predominantly men, you know, from 50, around the 50s, spots a little bit older. They used to be in industrial areas. Um, those industrial areas that were smacked by austerity, but to be honest, they were affected from way before that, from Thatcherism, really. These are men with fundamentally quite conservative values um, who looked at themselves as the man is the bread owner. That is where my status in society comes from. And when that went, and there was no jobs, or the jobs that were available, you know, picking up stuff in an Amazon warehouse, they were quite prone to seeking out new forms of status. This is why we get in such a muddle when we keep on talking about, is it cultural or is it economic? The cause of all this stuff. It's like culture and the economics are wrapped up in one go. The economic insecurity is there. And then where do they find that sense of status? It's very easy for people to go how come women suddenly decide that they're allowed to have these positions on boards? How come is it, you know, that minorities think they should have these additional rights? And you are much more prone when you've had your status taken from you to take on much more authoritarian political answers on that basis and to be dragged into the culture war by politicians who think that they can weaponize you in that way. So on that basis, this stuff has, I mean... It, there might be an extent to which that's always lurking around. there. There's certainly some like, really interesting psychological work on like, the authoritarian mindset, that authoritarian voters can vote in a very, very normal way until you convince them that there's an emergency. And then they'll be much more prone, much more open to radical solutions. But ultimately, this is about the historical moment that we're living in. And our question afterwards is going to have to be, what can we compromise on and what can we not? And for me, I would suggest we compromise not a fucking inch on the social and equality aspects of this stuff. But we do seek economically to see what kind of control, what kind of status we can offer people who've been, frankly, fucked around an awful lot so that those starting conditions for the more pernicious politics don't exist in the first place.
0: Um, Ingrid, some uh, divisive, irresponsible people in the media uh, insist on dividing everyone into leave or remain from Sitcom characters to Game of Thrones characters. <laughs> Some people called James. Um, so irresponsible. Gosh, yeah. Shocking. Heal the nation. Um, but do you think... Um, do you think that it, it is sort of... That we can overemphasise it? Because there is this problem, of course, is that the media, generally, people who work in the media, are also on social media. And so it's a sort of self-perpetuating cycle. And so, that you know, you, you see that sort of... The anger and name-calling and so on. Do you feel that that is, is genu- genuinely representative of the country at large? Or is this just the kind of the angry people, the super-angry people, some of whom are, are probably just kind of like Russian chaos agents anyway?
2: Uh, I mean, I, as Naomi on the podcast always says, you know, to people, only about 15%, I think, of, of the UK are on Twitter. So it's, it's not as many as people who are constantly on Twitter, like we are, might believe. But I do think these things seep out. I think they, they, they seep out and, and have a broader reach. And I have started very consciously policing myself actually, uh, on social media, because I, I you know, because it's funny to make a joke about,, mm, a Brexit here, uh, or you know, a gammon, whatever. a, ga- a gammon, is that a thing? Um, a gammon. Um, and I, I just I'm trying to not do that anymore, because it's, it's not helpful. Uh, and I wouldn't like it if someone called me the equivalent, a Remain equivalent. What is the Remain equivalent of gammon? Prosciutto, An avocado. A prosciutto, <laughs> avocado. Yeah,
1: prosciutto.
2: Avocado. I I would actually love it if someone called me a prosciutto. Um, so that's a bad example. Um, but but I think I think we do all have responsibility, and maybe that's why you know my earlier stance on the whole on the view on the Labour stance is what it is because I'm really. I have tried reaching out to people on Twitter, people who are quite extreme again in that sort of hope that I'm going to be able to. They just haven't met me yet and I'm going to be able to convince them otherwise and I've realised quite quickly it is pointless. So what I'm not going to do is then add fuel to the fire by entrenching people further in their positions by calling them names. I'm just not going to do it. Um, It's hard though. Um, You know, within my own family there there are rifts um, and People that will use that terminology, uh, unhelpful terminology, and um, it, it's yeah, we've got to stop. Every everyone's got, we've all got to stop doing that. I think. Thank I, I looked at the crowd, so I would get my applause. Thank you. Peace is the opposite of chaos.
1: Thank Peace. you.
2: <laughs> um,
0: James, a lot of this stuff in the in the, in the kind of press um, does get. Brexit gets bundled up with lots of other positions, but, so, you know, climate change denial, people that kind of use woke as an insult, people who are very worried about, um, you know, what, what students are up to. There's a, there's a lot of different, you know, tr- uh, transphobia. There's a lot of things that are sort of bundled up. Do you think that, that a culture war is sort of being consciously driven by certain actors in the media or in politics because they think, oh, we can get a lot out of this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's a, I mean it's an open-ended question. No,
4: I, I I I've been thinking a lot about the culture war next because 'cause I'm close to spending the advance for my next book and I've got to decide what it's got to be about. <laughs> so
1: <laughs>
4: I think one side in the culture war have sent in the stormtroopers and, and you describe them, you both actually describe them perfectly, people who've been standing in a queue, they don't just have to be post-industrial dispossessed. They they could never have had the possession. They could be the sons of the people that lost their jobs in in, in the coal mines and the the steelworks and thought they were going to be breadwinners like their dad. And they feel and more so perhaps in America than here that they've stood in line waiting for their payout, waiting for their desserts actually. Um, Not in the sense of puddings but in the sense of (laughs) what they think they deserve, and, and someone then comes along and says, there, there, there you are, standing in the queue, and, you know, they they put, the, they put the immigrants in front of you, and you're just minding your own business, peaceably standing in your queue, waiting for your just deserves, and now, now they've got women in the queue, and well. she wants to be president, that woman over there, and the last one was a black fella, so, you know, why are you standing in the queue for, you mugs? So they are furiously fighting a culture war. I don't think the other side are. I genuinely don't. I think this is the big sort of uh, deception that the right-wing media has perpetrated, because we can all name three or four heroes of the, of the alt-right, even on, on, you know, terrestrial breakfast television now, you've got people pretending to be cross-about pastry. Because um, <laughs> it works. Yeah. But I don't know who the heroes of the other side are, the people who are, are marching in defence of pastry. It's, uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't think that there is a war in the sense that two sides are fighting. And political correctness is the answer to the original question. It, because that's, that's all that went. The, the stuff that people felt they couldn't say in public. That's all that's really changed. Trump's genius was just to say stuff in public that people had been told they shouldn't say in public. And the reason they'd been told they shouldn't say it in public was because it was vile, unpleasant and largely untrue. But it's political correctness. So give it a name. And people think that they're somehow being stifled by it. So now they're just saying lots of stuff in person. Or so, you, speak English on this train. Or they're saying, oh, you, you, you're the wrong... And they're doing stuff they never would have had the audacity to do before because manners are actually, manners are actually an inconvenience. You know, I would much rather eat with my fingers than with a knife and fork. It makes a lot more sense. You I know? thought you did. I, well, I, I have my moments. But, but also, you know, I, I don't, I'm quite scruffy. I should be sm- more smiley. Manners is an inconvenience. It's not easy to, to obey the rules of civilised society. And in the context of interactions, racism, misogyny, um, homophobia, all of these things are, 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 are good manners. Decency. Do unto others if you want to get all Christian about it. Like all those devout Catholics, Jacob rees and Duncan Smith and Tony Gallagher, the editor of the Sun. Um, if, if you did want to get all Christian about it, the message would, would be simple. It would be do unto others as you'd have done unto yourself. And if you want to ignore Christianity, you just go back to Kant's categorical imperative. And, and you are given a reason why it makes utilitarian sense to treat others as you would want to be treated yourself. That's all that we've got rid of. We've got rid of that. So now, oh, yeah, I love, un- I love injustice, I love unfairness, I love discrimination, because I think I'm on the right side of it. And I've got people like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage going, I'm your leader, and, and don't worry, it-, it is unfair, but you're on the right side of the unfairness. And the poor sods aren't. The poor sods are on the wrong side of the un- The poor sods are going to get screwed if, if their businesses, is- if they work for Thomas Cook and they voted leave. You know, it's, it's not difficult. But that, thats why I slightly, for once, disagree with Ian. Because that effort, as Bevan put it, into persuading Labour to use its vote to keep wealth in power—that—that—that's part of it. It's not just the dispossessed, the loss of status. It's not just the sense of a a kind of Mandalay that that, that they can't access anymore. That, that there's something there's something deeper there, and it's for me, it's that, it's that, it's that sense of. Um, I, I will support inequality because I've been successfully persuaded that I'm on the right side mm. of it, and they, they're not. Well, finally, I, I don't know if I have any control over the lights,
0: um, but I would like to ask people how this has affected perhaps the way that you identify nationally, because you can identify, I could, I could identify as English, British, European, Londoner, Vincent Park my road in Finsley Park. You know, there's lots of ways you can do it. Um, and I just see a show of hands if anybody since the referendum in 2016 has sort of changed how they identify uh, and maybe feel less English or more European or whatever. So, like, a, like a fair number, but perhaps not, not overwhelming. Do you, so do you feel that kind of... To just wrap up, do you feel that kind of... Um, sort of British identity is is still this sort of I don't know the invisible George Orwell. Might have heard of him. I'm a bit of a fan Oh George Orwell. Uh, George Orwell yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. Anyway uh, no what he called the sort of the, the invisible chain, you know, that, that actually the um, or Joe Cox, you know, all more in common. You know, does, does it do you feel like that perhaps when we're through this sort of you know, heated moment, or even just beneath the surface, that there is that it's sort of more robust and less splintered than I
3: tend, generally, most days, to think. Um, I don't know how that will pan out on national sentiment. I imagine it will it will stay fairly similar. I mean, you know, notwithstanding the fact that you know Scotland will probably go independent, and maybe Northern Ireland will be cut off, and then eventually Wales will go. So there won't be much of a Britain for us to feel British. Yeah, There's but we'll have it back, back. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. And <laughs> um, what I think, what I hope will change and is and I feel is changing is this sense that people self-identify by thinking of themselves as liberal people as people who like the idea of freedom and of equality and yet of manners as well and who like to think of themselves as people who want to understand the thing and don't want to go in for the simple answers that you get somewhere else and don't want to feel divided by others and that we didn't have to have that sense of identity because frankly on social issues we were winning for a long time and now we're not now we're barbarians at the gate. That's what we are. Like we are the opposition now. And on that basis, there is identity there to be found. And as soon as that's there, you can further the liberal project because people think of themselves as liberals and they're more willing to fight for it.
4: Vote done.
0: <laughs> um, finally, to, to end on a... On a pathetic note, it's my turn
2: to do Leave or Remain.
0: Uh, <laughs> Ingrid, I believe you have my category. I Let's...
2: do have your categories. This is very exciting. Uh, your category is the Beatles and the Stones. Uh, we're not doing Ringo or Paul McCartney. Because uh, we know what the answers are there. Okay? Um, right, who's Leave, who's Remain, and who wants to bring back the European coal and steel community? Ready? Keith Richards. Keith Richards.
0: I mean, wouldn't vote. Would
2: he? Wouldn't know
1: <laughs> that
0: there was a referendum or a European Union. Uh, but if he did, would vote leave just to annoy me? <laughs>
2: George Harrison.
1: <sighs>
0: I think he'd be kind of. Rem- I don't know because you know there's Taxman George. Pretty grumpy about the state and red tape and so on, restraining the entrepreneur. Um, But then, kind of more like chilled out hippie, you know, life's a ride. Yeah, uh, George. Uh, Yeah, just
2: why rock the boat, remain? We we share the same birthday, so I can speak on his behalf. Um, (laughs) And he would definitely have voted remain. (laughs) Pisit, go Pisces. Um, Charlie Watts.
0: Um, well, he's very steady, isn't he, Charlie? He, he, reliable. Just status quo. So I don't think he would. I mean, he's not in status quo. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> I, I think even though he might be a bit socially conservative, uh, as in his tailoring, uh, I think he wouldn't want to. Uh, he, he just wouldn't
2: want to rock the boat. So, okay. I'd say, yeah. like, you know. Remain? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Stuart Sutcliffe, a.k.a. the Fifth Beatle well he left (laughs) which is
0: a very successful union of talents who were stronger together he left to do his own thing
4: yeah to live in Hamburg
2: (laughs) (laughs) James O'Brien wades in again
4: (laughs) definitely Germany
1: so well, the funny that?
0: answer that I was building up to was leave but the more accurate answer yes would probably be
2: remain. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, Mick Jagger. Mick um, Jagger.
0: I like to just remain because the, the, the people he hangs out like you know kind of I mean he is he's quite elitey isn't he? So you know like at Davos or whatever. Yeah. And he always wants yeah he'd definitely be remain there's no way and then he would kind of look down on, on Keith. That's why he would be wound up by Keith.
1: <laughs>
2: and finally John Lennon. Imagine there's no freedom of movement. Was that a joke? That That's fine. I read that out. That was, that was a, that was Sorry. A, yeah. yeah, John Lennon is the last one.
0: Um, let me see. Sort of radical, sort of Maoist John. Like, would be legs it. Very legs it. But then he'd sort of rise above it, wouldn't he? In... Um, yeah, just kind of all kind of chilled out in New York, and yeah, no, because he had phases. That's the thing with John. And again, he might have voted leave to annoy Paul, but then <laughs> in the later years he got over that, and I think he just probably, you know. But he lives in America, didn't he? So he can vote.
2: No, you can't. You don't. You can't. I had to do <laughs> Rachel from Friends.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you can vote. Silly question. Silly question. Doesn't work.
2: <laughs> so what was your, What was the final verdict on John Lennon?
0: Uh, Okay, sort of 70-71, John very, legs it. Later John, soft remain. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Uh, And that is uh, the end of this show. There is another show afterwards uh, which some of you hopefully are staying for. Thanks to Ingrid Oliver and Ian Dunt. (laughs) And thanks to our special guest, James O'Brien. for giving up his Monday night. Yeah. short yeah. uh, Thanks also to other regulars, Ros Taylor and Alex Andre, who will be doing the next show. Naomi Smith, who will be uh, up with the lark outside the Supreme Court tomorrow. Um, and Nina Schick plus producer Andrew, our studio producers Sophie, Alex and Elsie, business brain Martin Bojos, all our Patreon backers, and all of you for coming to see us. Um, We will have to... We've actually ended on time. Um, We will have to clear the hall uh, in 15 minutes, but we do have time for a few audience questions. Um, Probably lights up. Somebody with a microphone.
2: Also thanks to Dorian, by the way, sorry. No one
0: else? There is a mic here. Right, who's got a question? Oh, you're on the rather bloody side, aren't you? Hang okay.
3: on. This person's on this side. Hi guys, um, I, I wanted to ask um, well, two questions. Who do, who do they think um, the Supreme Court will rule for tomorrow, and how important is the verdict to the situation?:
0: No, no, we'll just do one at one at a time.
1: Um, (Laughter)
4: I, I, I think it'll go against the government. I think it changed in the course of the second day of testimony. I think the killer point, the pivot, was perhaps when Panic said something along the lines of, well, if, if that's true, what's to stop them proroguing for a year? I think. But I'm not a lawyer. And how important is it to, to the bigger picture, Ian? Well, uh, hang, hang on, I've done enough. Ingrid?
2: <laughs> well, um, what if they get found guilty? But, oh, if they get found so guilty, smart. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty moves. fucking important, I'd imagine.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> would, um,
0: <laughs> um, would it be would it be a resignation issue? The whole line to the Queen,
1: fancy movie. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> There are
4: so many resignation issues, none of which have turned out to be resignation issues. So please don't ask that question ever again.
0: Next question. Okay, over here.
1: Hello.
2: I'm just wondering if... uh, This feels like my tribe, I have to say. And prior to the referendum, I was a kind of uh, very vehemently pro-European, but I didn't have a lot of noise around me. I didn't feel like that was a... I didn't feel like I should speak out about it. I thought we were just going to win this thing, because everybody supports the status quo. And I just wonder if there is more... There's more noise, pro-Remain noise now than I think there was before the referendum. Is it enough?
0: Well, it's been enough to kind of... I mean, obviously, disappointing scenes today, but it's definitely been enough to, for example, force the Labour leadership... You know, force the Labour to sort of turn that ship around, um, even though they're kind of hedging their bets. I mean, that was a that was a huge thing. It's been enough to do a lot of things, to turn a people's vote from a... Uh, you know, kind of a real long shot to a viable, kind of viable option. Um, it's been enough to have the Lib Dems calling for revoke, which is, which, I mean, I don't know, the day after the referendum, that was a pretty kind of hardcore position to have held. So it's, it's been enough to change a lot. What we've got now, unfortunately, is so many moving parts. You know, we're waiting to see what the Supreme Court does. Now, I don't think we, you know, our passion can't change that, nor should it. So I know, would it be enough to actually stop Brexit? I don't know, but it's been enough to achieve far more than would have been achieved had people stayed in the kind of more subdued mode perhaps they were pre-2016. I
4: I wonder whether the best answer to your question is... Because I think I know what you're heading towards. Why are they so desperate not to have a second referendum? I think that's your answer, isn't it? Because... They know what will happen. Yeah,
0: that was better. That was better. <laughs>
4: your, your book is better. Uh, next question. Um, I'm saying this as a committed Lib
0: Dem,
3: but um, <clears throat> Jess for PM? I quite like the sound Jess. of Jess. Jess Phillips, I'm yes. assuming that you're talking yeah. about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I quite like the sound of that as well.
4: I'd I'd take it now, but to be honest, I'd take the surviving chuckle brother now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I'd take the...
1: (laughs) You need to finish that sentence. Uh,
3: What what happens if, uh, if we extend... And they say, yes, but you've got to do a year or two years. Well, I mean, the thing is, we know what happens, but, and it's perfectly likely that they will say yeah, because now France, which previously, frankly, quite unhelpfully, Macron forced down the timetable for the, for the last extension, it, the, the rumours are he would now push it further up because he can't be bothered coming back here every six months having the same old shit show over and over again. <laughs> that part, you, you can't blame him for that part. Um, and we know what happens because it's in the legislation. So, you bring the offer back to the Commons. If MPs want to have a vote on the offer, they can have it over 48 hours, and if not, then the automatic is that we, we accept. So, I mean, that's in statute. I mean, I know that statute doesn't mean what it months did. <laughs> but but, we, but in, in terms of the, the scheduling of that, and I do think MPs would vote for you. Yeah, I think MPs will vote for whatever they're given. Yeah. Uh, next. We're going we to try and move head. around. Hey, Andrew, yeah.
0: we've got some on the front rows. So we move Excuse me. this away. <laughs> um, kind of related in the kind of identity question from before, um, I know the Best for Britain have just done their um, Where We Stand kind of video, which is all about um, kind of reclaiming the patriotic case for staying in the EU, that kind of thing of not allowing the we're British thing to be owned by the Leave campaign. And how do you think we can make that more so, make it more that the right thing for our country, the right thing to do as a patriot, as someone who actually likes the country, is to vote Remain and stay?
2: Yeah, that, I mean, actually, which in reference to the lady's question at the back, saying are we doing enough in terms of um, getting the pro-European message out there that video that you're referring to was was great and I, and I felt it was sort of one of the first times I'd seen something like that and because we're so busy scrambling to try and stop it it's really hard to simultaneously build a positive case at the same time and sort of do a PR campaign because all energy is focused at the moment on just trying to you know, avoid uh, anyway, uh, the worst case scenario so, I mean, that, for example, is, is, is a good example of the kind of thing that we can do, but you're right. It's, it, it's when we have enough space to breathe, and that, I imagine, will happen maybe if there is a second referendum, when a campaign can be built around it, and people will hopefully learn from the last campaign, and then they have a just a minute to regroup and go, this is the message that we need to be putting out there.
4: Yeah. You're talking about... Patriotism in the positive sense as yeah. well. You're talking about a, a conflation of the national interest with a degree of pride in, in, yeah. in past achievements. So that, that answer applies to those sort of patriots. I have the answer for the wrong sort of patriots, the people who think that patriotism involves wanging on about fish in the Second World War. What, what you do, and you should all write this down, actually, because this could change everything. What, what you do in the second referendum is that you call Remain Germany plus...
0: <laughs> the, the thing that makes me think actually that, that it's quite hard to be I'm generally in a kind of most of the time in a sort of slow tie frame of mind his album's called Nothing Great About Britain uh, and I, I often do feel like that and I feel like unfortunately a lot of people feel like that I'm not sure if anyone saw this kind of how people feel about their country uh poll and British people were the most pessimistic of all the countries on the list. I mean, I don't, it wasn't every country in the world. I'm sure there's some with pretty glass half empty. Um, but Britain was kind of like 70-odd percent were against. The best country in the world, apparently, is China, where uh, virtually everybody's got really... <laughs> ..over the moon with how things are going. Nothing to complain about. Uh, so we can probably learn something from them. Um, but I do think it's hard to present a positive case when... when you know when you when you sort of don't feel it, and yet it, 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 a lot of the time, and yet it's so sort of essential to try and get over that hoop because if you seed national identity and populism, not populism, sorry, patriotism to mm. um, to the right, then you're kind of stuffed. And so that well, that was a really important step. So can we? There's number one question or, uh, You're lucky with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, for me, the two
2: best. Three letter acronyms in the British Isles were the NHS and the BBC. However, um, it's now EFTA. Yeah, I'm not sure about the (laughs) the BBC anymore, and that for me that's a huge blow. Um, Could you give me some kind of uh, help on that, or like, (laughs) is there any? Way mm-hmm. forward for that, or well, yeah. Well, then there's some good bits just... right now.
3: Mate. I mean, so I'd say Michelle Hussain, um, Emma Barnett, Emily Maitlis. These are people who are doing good work on the BBC right now. sure <laughs> Sean Humphreys
0: is retired
1: from today. <laughs>
3: you're definitely right that there there is a significant problem with the approach that it takes towards the idea of balance and that's been played over and over again there's a man that wrote some kind of book crazy it it covers it in some detail Um, and that is a problem and and that goes to the heart of lots of problems we've had with with that pillar that fourth pillar media over the last sort of three years however looking at some of them there I see some marks of improvement not just John Humphrey's leaving although genuinely thank fuck (laughs) Believe, I mean, if you see Faisal Islam going over, who does really, I mean, some of the best Brexit coverage that you'll oh, yeah. see everyone is now going to BBC. There's yeah. more of an approach, if you see that, the, the, it, almost on a, on a cultural level, the way that BBC presenters are talking about Boris Johnson, that the way in which they're prepared to use the word, he's a liar. Um, just, I mean, even coming up by Nick Robinson using it against him. So, slowly but surely, I actually see, nothing to get too confident about, some sign of improvement from where we've been over the last three years. And like I said, I think three of the best interviewers in the country are, are all working for the BBC right
4: now. So, okay. Can I offer a word of comfort as well? And, and, and I mean, I've spent, I've spent a lot of time trying to work this out, because I, I, I felt I couldn't carry on working at the BBC because I wanted to say stuff about Brexit and Trump that has turned out to be mostly bang on the fucking money. LAUGHTER but the, but the people that you're thinking of, I, I don't think, But with the exception perhaps of John Humphreys, um, who of course could have no doubt hung on to his job if only he'd had the foresight to publish The Spectator before becoming a Brexit-supporting BBC <laughs> politics presenter. Uh, the rest of them, it just didn't occur to them over 30, 40 years, and, and I, I, I'm very good friends with, with Bill Cash's youngest son, he's my oldest friend, he's godfather to my daughter, and it never occurred to me when I was going to stay with the Cashes uh, as a teenager that they could have got it so wrong. I just presumed that there was... And, and you know, because you, you were closer to the understanding of this issue than I was, long long before the referendum. There were reasons to be Eurosceptic, Maastricht, uh, most obviously, but there were others as well. David Alan Green, a great friend of this, the, the, this podcast and my programme, he worked in Bill Cash's office as a researcher, with Daniel Hannah. So there was this kernel of plausibility about Euroscepticism. And then Johnson arrived in Brussels, and the Telegraph went tonto, the Express went even more mad. Paul Dacre had some sort of emotional embolism. (laughs) And and everything went wrong. But, But for the BBC presenters that I used to know, I still know them, I used to work with, not on Newsnight, but on other programs. It just never occurred to them. These people are the godfathers to their children. These people are their friends. They break bread together. They go out for dinner together. They go on holiday together. The scale of the error of leaving the European Union never occurred to them. And they're still trying to reverse engineer that realization. So although I you know, bow to a few people in my criticism of false equivalence and balance, I do worry with the exception of the people that we've mentioned and alluded to tonight, I I worry that the rest of them are getting tarred with a brush that that they don't deserve. It it, it is like climate change. You have got 99% of the world scientists sitting on your right, and you are compelled to have Nigel Lawson sitting on your left, (laughs) until relatively recently. That is the rules. So I I don't know that you can blame the presenters for the model, although some of them perhaps should have been a little quicker to criticise the model than they have been. Although... This isn't a cop-out, in my view. They, they, they've, got, they've got bills to pay. They've got livelihoods. And and I was lucky. I was doing three or four nights a week at the BBC, so I could turn around and go, ha-ha, you've got it all wrong, you fools. But if it was my day job, would I have had the guts to do that? I'd have to ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so I'm sorry to anyone that we didn't get to... Um there will be a set for anyone who's who's doing both shows obviously there'll be another chance later on but apologies we couldn't get to everyone thanks again to the panel and to the finest audience thank you